Welcome to Winning Is Not Everything, where we bring sanity back to youth sports by focusing on character development, effort, and sportsmanship, not rankings and trophies. I'm your host, Sean Jensen, former NFL reporter, children's book author, and youth sports coach. When I covered the NFL, Mark Schlereth was one of my favorite analysts to talk to. Few people could masterfully communicate the nuances of the offensive line like him, and he had some amazing credentials. But stick around to find out more about this brilliant broadcaster for Fox Sports. TeamSnap is the presenting sponsor of the Winning Is Not Everything podcast. As you start thinking about your spring sports season, the TeamSnap app can help you spend more time focusing on coaching and less time worrying about the team management side of things. Even in this preseason time, coaches can use the app to start building relationships with players and parents through the messaging features. Plus, once your spring schedule's ready, put it on the app for parents to easily sync to their calendars. Download the TeamSnap app in your mobile app store or visit teamsnap.com slash winning for more information. Three-time Super Bowl champion, two-time Pro Bowl guard, a 10th round pick who underwent 29 surgeries. Mark Schlereth is widely considered the greatest NFL player from Alaska. In part one of our talk, Mark is going to share how growing up in Alaska impacted him, an epic childhood story involving a legendary NFL team, and his insights into playing in the trenches as an offensive lineman. Let's jump in. Well, I am so honored to have as my guest today, Mark Schlereth. Mark, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to join me. Sean, it's my pleasure, man. Always good to catch up with you. Absolutely. Well, Mark, obviously we got to know each other when I covered the NFL for so long, and you were just one of those incredible sort of insiders who just really understood the players, and I thought you had a perspective that far transcended most players, like just having a, a great understanding of the game. And it's not a surprise that you are a analyst for Fox and that you've got your own radio show and that you've carved out this incredible career as a sports analyst, particularly with the NFL. Mark, just tell me, like, did you imagine this after your amazing career that you would transition into this career? Uh, no, not really. You know, it, interestingly enough, when I first retired, I just thought I would kind of stay retired for a couple of years and then kind of figure out what's next. I always knew I was going to work. You know, it's just kind of the way I'm wired. My, my father was very much wired that way. And as a matter of fact, after he just retired in October of last year, 2022, after 56 years at State Farm. So wow. 56 years at State Farm and ended up retiring. So I always knew like that was part of my upbringing. You have to work. My dad used to say all the time when I was a kid, if, you, if a man don't work, he don't eat. And that was always <laughs> kind of our joke when we were doing yard work and stuff, uh, you know, and I was helping him out as a young kid. He would always say that. So I always knew that I was going to work. I, I thought it would take a while. Like, I thought I would just kind of chill for a year or two and then figure it out. And that really lasted for me for about two weeks. And <laughs> I was tromping at the bit to do something. So things just kind of fell into place. And next thing you know, I'm auditioning at ESPN. And, and they hired me pretty much on the spot. And I spent 16 years there and then transitioned over to Fox. Because I always thought that calling games would be cool. Yeah. Um, and it is. It's incredible. Like the, the difference between doing studio stuff and actually calling a game, doing the studio stuff is just 
exponentially easier than calling a game. And so I always knew that, that it felt like it would be fun. And I always felt like I could do it. It was really cool. Like the first time as a kid from Alaska, growing up, loving the NFL, falling in love with the NFL, falling in love with the players and being inspired by the players to pursue that as a you know job. And then to see John Madden show up to your practice for the first time. And, you know, John Madden wasn't some guy on a video game. He, like he was the guy, right? He yeah. coached the Raiders and he's a Hall of Fame coach. And then like he is still the kind of gold standard of broadcasting. And, you know, to see him show up to your practice, like you just knew, man, this is a big game. And, <laughs> and I always felt cool. And it felt cool to me as a as a player, yeah, you know, we'd be like, like, John Madden's at our practice, you know, I mean, that's him. So yeah. that was always kind of one of the things that was in the back of my mind. But I, it was kind of a journey to get there because I was, I was not doing that for ESPN and I was probably never going to get that opportunity because they have one NFL game Monday night. So that transition was kind of cool for me. And I've been doing that here now for five years for Fox. Now, two of my favorite NFL-related people are from Alaska, you and my friend Seth Wickersham, you know, who's an incredible writer at ESPN, uh, the magazine, and he writes these epic profiles, just such an insanely gifted guy. The thing that I think is in common with both you guys, though, is, and maybe this is an Alaska thing, but despite both your immense success, you're both such humble guys, you know, and is that an Alaska sort of personality and spirit type of thing? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that it's an Alaska thing. I think it's just a upbringing thing. You know, one thing I know to be factual is anytime you start feeling really good about where you're at, uh, God does something to humble you, you know? So <laughs> I, I know that feeling of riding high and I know the feeling of bitter disappointment. And so that's always been one of those things. And part of it, I think for Seth or myself, I've always just been wired that way. So, yeah, I, I, I can't, you know, I was raised right. I was taught the difference between right and wrong. I was taught responsibility and, and accountability. And, you know, I've always, you know, felt that way. And I, and I understand having played team sports my entire life that everybody has a vital role. And, you know, especially playing offensive line, like we can't, like I, I can't be good unless we're all good. And the importance of working together and the importance of communication and the importance. And one of the things I always say that I love about football and sports in general is you show me one other place in life where you can celebrate somebody else's success like it's your own. Maybe other than being a parent, there's nothing quite like, you know, somebody else. I mean, I've never scored a TD. But I've been a vital part in a bunch of TDs that have been scored. Mm -hmm. And to be able to celebrate that like you scored it and to truly, genuinely be happy for teammates and to not have jealousy, to know that we worked in this thing together to make it happen. I love that aspect of sports. And it's one of the things that really just inspires me and pushes me forward. Yeah, that's such a great perspective, too, especially coming from an offensive lineman. And, and I know now in contemporary football, there's more metrics and grading and things like that. But during your heyday, when you were playing, there, there weren't those things, right? I mean, it wasn't there weren't sort of measures other than like what your coaching staff did. Right. Right? There weren't these public sort of things you know, that evaluated what a guard in particular was doing, right? right. And so I think that has been an, a very interesting, and that's a great perspective. And I'll say this, I didn't grow up playing football. You know, it was my, it was a career opportunity for me. I loved covering the NFL. I still watch the NFL. Just an incredible, 
you know, sport. It's, it's fun to watch. But what I really respect about the NFL is when I cover the league, you could have 10 players doing exactly the right thing and one player could just screw the whole thing up. Right. I mean, that that was one of the great things. And I'm not sure that that's as obvious in anything as it is in football, because in the stakes are high. Right. There's just one game a week. There's only 17 right. games, you know, and, and in the NBA. And I love soccer. And in soccer, there's there's so many games. And so if you lose one, it's it's general, OK, well, we got we can bounce back next week. And then we've got some you know, we've only got 48 hours or 72 hours until the next game. And for the NFL, I mean, my goodness, right, that, you know, everybody's doing the right thing and a guard blows his assignment, the play is dead, right? The quarterback's down. And it didn't matter if the receiver beat his guy, the quarterback had no time to get the ball out of, you know, his hand. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, it is. It is a fascinating thing about football. You know, we always joke around that all five of us can be doing the wrong thing as long as all five of us are doing the wrong thing together. The play's probably going to work out. It's when... Two guys are doing one thing and three guys are doing another thing. That's when, you know, that's when it's going to fall apart. So, yeah, um, it's, that's great. Yeah. It's an interesting kind of game within a game mm-hmm. and just the relationships that are built and, and the camaraderie that is created and the ability to depend on one another that is essential to playing that position. And, you know, I always joked around it. We're like a secret mushroom society. Nobody really knows what we're doing. Except us. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's hard to it's hard to truly understand the beauty of it, understand the athleticism of it, understand the knowledge of it, but just understand how tough the job is. And I always say it's the most skilled position in football. And the reason I say that is because every play you're lined up against somebody who's a better athlete than you that plays on the defensive side of the ball. So an unlike athletic matchup. But you, as the worst athlete, are expected to win 100% of the battles. Yeah. And if you give up one sack and you can whip somebody's butt 65 plays in a row, you give up one sack, he goes to the Pro Bowl, and you're a schlub. And so it's a really <laughs> interesting position. It and I always, I always tell people this. I mean, think about you get caught in a switch in basketball and a little six-foot-two point guard that's lightning quick blows by your seven-foot center and lays it up, you don't pull your center out of the game and go, he's terrible at defense. We just can't play him anymore. You're like, hey, man, you got us on a switch. <laughs> yeah. But in the NFL, like, oh, yeah, Dwight McFreeney right. hits you with a spin move and he just goes by you like you're standing still and you're the one that stinks and Dwight Freeney, you know I mean? Yeah. Hey, Dwight Freeney is an incredible player. So the strategy behind it and like the mismatch from an athleticism standpoint, to me is always one of those things that has fascinated me about the game and about that particular position. Yeah, no, that's great. Great insights. I love it. Now, I do want to go back a little bit with one of my questions I'd love to ask guests, and it's intentionally broad. But growing up in Alaska, what was your favorite childhood sports-related memory? Whether that's attending an event, watching an event, or something that you experienced as an athlete or watching one of your siblings or, or parents. Right. I was always a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And obviously, they were winning championships at the time. But in Alaska, the morning game, always on like 7 a.m. I don't know which station it was, but it was one of the, the majors. So... The morning game was always at like 7 a.m. in Alaska. And 
in Alaska, you got the Pittsburgh Steelers because they were, you know, because they were the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then the afternoon game was usually the Cowboys. And so Sunday morning, you know, I couldn't roll out of bed to get myself to school on time. You know, my mom had to shake me 14 times, but on Sunday morning I was up, hmm. you know, to watch football because I loved it. And so I'd always watch the Steelers and then Sunday, you know, Sunday late mid morning or whatever, we'd head to church. And so I always got to watch the Steeler games and I became a huge Steelers fan. And my favorite childhood memory, I was probably maybe in the eighth grade and my father took me to Seattle to watch the Steelers play at the end of their run, their dynastic run. So Bradshaw, Franco Harris, Rocky Blyer, Lynn Swan, John Stallworth, Mean Joe Green, Elsie Greenwood, Mike Webster, Larry Brown, Benny Cunningham, you know, you name it. They were Jack Ham, Jack Lambert, Mel yeah. Blunt, Mike Wagner. They were all there. I got to stand in the hotel lobby and try to collect autographs. Hmm. And one of the big things was somebody asked me a question while I was getting autographs about where I was from. And when I said Alaska, then that became a big interest point to the guys because they all wanted to go up there fishing. And so then I became like the most popular kid in the lobby. And so players were seeking me out, asking me about fishing. Now, the funny part of that is my dad was born and raised in New York City. And my dad didn't know anything about fishing. Henceforth, I didn't know anything about fishing. So, you know, I'm sitting up uh, essentially making up stories about uh, what a great fisherman. <laughs> I don't know anything about <laughs> I'm just trying to get autographs, you know. So I became popular because of the fact that I was from Alaska and they just assumed I knew how to fish. But I didn't oh, know jack funny. about fishing. What were some of the big autographs you got? I got everybody. I got Chuck okay. Noll. I got Franco Harris. I got Bradshaw. I got Swan. I got Stallworth. I got me and Joe Green. Wow. I got Elsie Greenwood, Jack Hand, Jack Lambert. I, I got everybody. Pretty much, wow. just pretty much everybody. Uh, That's a great story. And I still, yeah, I still have, I still have it. My mom cut all the autographs out on a little notebook and then she put them all in a frame, you know, wow. and she's got beautiful handwriting penmanship where she wrote on there, the Pittsburgh Steelers and, wow. you know, framed it for me. And so anyhow, it still, it still hangs in my childhood house. That's so cool. What a great story. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Winning Is Not Everything. Please make sure to like the podcast and subscribe to the podcast so you can immediately get the latest episode. If you have any questions or comments, please visit my website, seankjensen.com, and go to the contact page. Before I close, though, my presenting sponsor, TeamSnap, and my video series, Model Student Athlete, are thrilled to present our Coach of the Month. We want to shine the spotlight on coaches in youth sports who are making a positive impact impact on young student athletes and we want to recognize Haley Speed, the director of operations for the Seton Hall women's soccer team, a youth coach for STA in New Jersey and an Olympic development coach of the 2010 Eastern New York girls. Last year, she was named to the United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 class. Congratulations, Haley. Last but not least, I want to thank my presenting sponsor, TeamSnap, the go-to app to help you have a successful spring sports season. Until next time, I'm Sean Jensen. Thank you.